Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. I'm going to read the Bible now, and we're going to be reading through 1 John. We're going to have a look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 to 12. You can have a look in your Bibles there, or it will be on the screen as well. This is what it says. This is how God showed his love for us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our Good Friday service. My name's Ross, if we haven't met, and it is great to be here together just to spend some time reflecting on what Good Friday is all about, what our great God is all about, and how do we know about his love. I'm just going to quickly pray for us that God will speak to us now in this moment. Please join me in prayer. Dear Father God, thank you for the opportunity to gather on a Friday morning, that we are blessed to have a day off, blessed to gather together, even in uh, restrictions and COVID times, but also, Lord, blessed that we can come to know you through your actions 2,000 years ago on the cross. So we ask that you would just help enlighten us now, speak to us, open our hearts, Lord, and help us to know you more this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Who do you trust? There's lots of questions about how you build up trust with someone. How do you know you can trust them with your life, trust them with your secrets, trust them with just your innermost being? There's lots of ways we trust people with ourselves. It struck me a few weeks back, uh, I was in Sydney with a bunch of mates and I had to put my trust in, in somebody else's hands. I actually had a near-death experience. Many of you wouldn't know this. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was in Sydney with my mates and they all thought it was a good idea to go jet boat riding on the Sydney Harbour. Sounded like a great idea. Uh, this sort of picture comes to mind. This is the actual company. We did ride under the Sydney Harbour Bridge, around the, the Opera House. We did all those things. Except this was not the actual picture of us on that day. See, what uh, this pictures do not capture is our driver would do things like, well for starters we pick the time at 4.30 in the afternoon. If you know Sydney, that's getting close to peak time. There's ferries everywhere on the Sydney Harbour. There's a couple of yachts, racing yachts, practicing how fast they could go through the Sydney Harbour. There was even a Navy submarine coming in through the heads and past us and we were going to be amongst all this hustle and bustle on the Sydney Harbour. And did I mention, this was more like the actual day we went on, uh, it was raining, it was storming, the wind was blowing, the waves were so big you could almost surf on them. Well, it felt like that to me anyway, because I'm not used to boats. We were in this boat and this day, and we hop in this boat thinking, we're just going to cruise around the harbour, have a bit of a look, a couple of turns, a bit of a splash, it's all good. 
But this guy had the serious ambition. His job was to get as much water into the boat as he possibly could with you sitting in on it. It didn't fill me with security at that time, especially once we robed up in our jackets and we got strapped into the boat, pelting rain, the wind blowing. And he said, I'm sure we're going to have a great time this afternoon. Just to let you know, uh, this is my first day on the job. I've never done this before. It's going to be great. This is zero confidence. We're going to die for sure. He was joking, thankfully. And th he was a Kiwi, had a great sense of humour. I liked playing with my feelings, I think. But he said uh, he did things to give me assurance then, to go, yeah, we know what we're doing, and everything he did goes, this guy knows what he's doing. He is good. And actually weaving through the ferries, running up and down the waves, uh, going past the racing boats, it was an awesome experience, awesome experience, because I knew I could trust him, and in a sense, at that moment, it was really putting my life into his hands. But we do think of things, we do measure trust. How do we know we can trust someone when we're looking for a job, an employer, or employees that we work with? How do we know we can trust them with what we're doing, to, to be ourselves, to work with them? Are they going to look after me and not burn me? about our friends? Do we know we can trust them? What things they say, their actions of what they do, how do we know we can trust our friends? When we're either looking for a spouse or married to a spouse, how do we know we can trust them? We look for what they do, their actions, their words. We, we need to be vulnerable. We want to put our life in their hands to know that we are safe. So who do you trust? And how do we know we can trust them? And this is where I think it's very hard for many of us today to think, how do I trust in a guy called Jesus lived 2,000 years ago? How powerful was he? How mighty was he? How safe am I with he? Because the image we have of Jesus 2,000 years ago is an almost naked man beaten, hanging on a cross, about to die. It's kind of like, oh, it doesn't fill me with that much confidence, to be honest, that I'm going to put my life in his hands. That's a big ask, isn't it? That's a huge ask. Now, what uh, John was one of Jesus' disciples, and he, he wrote lots about Jesus, and particularly about why we can trust in Jesus. So he's going, not only can I answer your question, can you trust him, but I want to affirm you, you can trust him into something much greater than you ever, ever thought it would be like. He tells a story. We're going to spend most of our time this morning just not looking at the Good Friday when, when Jesus was crucified that afternoon, but what happened the night before Jesus was crucified? Because Jesus hung out with his disciples and he did something really amazing. This is his last night together with them before he went to the cross. And he's sitting around the table with them. They'd finished their meal. We're going to pick it up in John chapter 13, reading from verse 3. John points out to us that Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Well, literally, it says, because you know, it was originally written in the Greek 2,000 years ago, and we translate it to have the same meaning. But with the same meaning, it literally says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things in his hands. It has the same thing. It's under Jesus' power. It's under his control, but literally in his hands. Now, if you're as old as me and went to kids' church years ago, you'd probably remember a song, uh, He's Got the Whole World in His Hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. Yeah, you know the one? I'm not going to sing it. But you know the one. He's got the whole world in his hands. This is the verse that it comes from. All power, all authority has been given to Jesus. And he knows it. Jesus knows. He has more authority than anybody else 
who has ever lived, and, and he, he's there in that moment. In fact, John has showed us all the way through his gospel up to this point how Jesus has been showing his power and authority. He did things like um, Jesus was with his disciples at a party, and at the party, the, the bar goes dry. There's no more wine left. So he asks his mates, go, get us some water. They go, we don't want to drink water. We don't drink wine. They're out of wine. This is no good. Give me the water. It turns water into wine. That's, that's my summary of the story anyway. But it's like, do you think Jesus didn't enjoy that moment? Hey, boys, look how much power and authority I have. Let me show you this. What about the time when uh, Jesus, was, Jesus and his disciples had just done a teaching thing on one side of the lake. They wanted to, to rest over the other side of the lake. So late in the evening, he told his disciples, look, you row over to the other side of the lake and I'll meet you over there. And they're like, nah, you can't. There's no more boats. We're the only boat. You've got to come with us. He says, no, in fact, I'll race you over there. So they start going at night. During the night, they see Jesus walking on the water not only just catching up to them, but walking past them. It's like, I have all power and authority. Do you think Jesus did not enjoy that moment of going, hey, look, do you realise who I am? Jumps in the boat with them to, to give them some security. What about the time when uh, Jesus had this big speaking to that big crowd, over 5,000 people, but somebody forgot to organise the food for lunch. So they're going, we have to go home, we're starving here. And he goes, it's all right, grabs a few fishes and a few loaves and feeds over 5,000 people. Do you think you didn't enjoy that moment? Hey, didn't you know? I have all things, all power and authority in my hands. I can do this. But then it just builds to things greater. Jesus' friend Lazarus was sick. Jesus had the power to heal. He didn't go and heal his friend Lazarus. He didn't even go near that town. His Lazarus dies. Lazarus has his funeral some friend Jesus is, didn't even turn up. It's not going to go to the funeral. It's not even going to be there. Not even going to be there for his family. But three days after he'd been buried, Lazarus, that Jesus turns up and everybody's distraught. Jesus, where were you? He's like, don't you know? I have all power and authority in my hands. Calls Lazarus out of his tomb to come alive again, walking out. Do you think Jesus didn't enjoy that moment? Don't you know? I have the all power and authority in my hands. Not even death is not in control of me. I can control all things. Like his greatness is, is just so huge. His supremacy, his authority has never been seen before. We often see kings in those days. Kings would big note themselves uh, about their big building projects, uh, their, their big amphitheatres, their big festivals, their, they build temples. They would like to name things after themselves. We're the king. And I want people to remember my greatness. So they, they named cities after the kings in those days. But Jesus comes along and he's like, he's the king of kings. He's the master over all the other kings, way more powerful than all the other kings. His supremacy is so great, it's uncomparable. John says Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power or in his hands. But also in this storyline of what's going on, John also tells us that he had come from God and was returning, from God, returning to God. <clears throat> that Jesus had come on a mission. Back in chapter 1, John had told us that Jesus was with the Father God. 
He come from the Father God, that he was the light of the world, the light shining in the darkness, that those who would believe in him would become children of God. So that was his mission, to, to help people believe in him so they would become children of God and to know God in a, in a real way and that he would return back to God the Father in heaven. So this sort of fits in the story. His mission is coming to an end. His time on earth was almost done. This was the last night before he was going to the cross the next day. Now, if this is your last night of your mission and you have all power and authority, like, what would you do? I think in my experience, when I've done uh, things with other people, so Jesus with his 12 disciples, when I've done, go, gone on like camps, youth camps and church camps and uh, beach mission, things like that, when I've been together with a whole bunch of people and it's been a, a hard work, hard effort, but we've got to the end, it's the last night. What usually happens on the last night? People do crazy things. We'll dress up and play gags on each other. We stay up all night. Like we just, you just see a different side of people than you normally would because it's, it's kind of like it's party time. It's the end. It's the last night. I can imagine, well, no, I couldn't imagine. I can imagine if I was Jesus, I'd be saying, look, guys, I've got all power and authority. This is my last night before I go to the cross. Let's make this a big one. I want to give you guys a night to remember. Let's have some fun. Who wants to race across the lake? Not just on the water. How about we race under the water? Remember, I've got the power to do it. How about we go to the cemetery and play cemetery lotto? You know how cemetery lotto works? You pick a grave and I'll raise the person just to have a look on their face. Like, what is going on? That'll be so much fun. How about we, just, how about we sneak into the Roman, um, the, the soldiers' fort and pinch all their crosses? So then when it comes to crucify Jesus, they've got nothing around them. They'll be going to panic. Like, what's this going on? We could have some fun here because it's the, the last night. This is good. I've got all power and authority. I want to give you guys a night to remember. But what does Jesus do? Actually, John builds a suspension by saying, you know, Jesus knew he had all power and all authority in his hands. That he had knew that he was returning back to God. So he... Begs the question, so he, if, if you had that much power and authority, what would you do last night? He says, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. It's interesting, the wording of this. John could have said, Jesus has all power and authority in his hands. We've seen it. We know it. We're expecting something great for him. But even though despite he has all his power, he lowered himself and become a servant and washed their feet. It's like that contrast. What's going on? This is not normal. On the one hand, we're expecting this. But on the other hand, we're, we're seeing this. But what John says is because he had all power and all authority and he was returning back to God, it was like, of course he's going to wash their feet. Of course he's going to become their servant. Just because he's all the, got the greatest power and authority, he's the Lord of Lords, King of Kings. So, of course he's going to become a servant. That's the unexpected twist. See, it's not uh, unusual for those guys in those days to have their feet washed. Uh, it's normal practice if you go to somebody's house for dinner that you'd be greeted with a kiss uh, by the host by the master of the household. 
Uh, and then you would have your feet washed as a customary thing because, you know, they didn't, not many people had shoes in those days. They did all their travelling by walking on dirty, dusty roads. Often, you know, there's poo and stuff from all sorts of animals that have been on the road as well. So if you're going to come into my house and sit at my table, I want to show you some hospitality and have your feet washed. But it's normally the lowest person in that house, socially, the lowest person. So the master would never wash your feet, the master of the house, uh, even person of his family wouldn't wash your feet. A servant would wash their feet. But even in those days, it was for an adult servant, it was even beyond them. If you had servants in your household with a family, it was the servant kids who washed your feet. It was the lowest of low. You really knew where you sat in that social structure. Social structure. It was the kids who washed your feet. If there's no kids, it was then the adult servant. If there's no adult servant, it was the master's kids who washed your feet. It was never the master. But here we see the master, the Lord of Lords, King of Kings, all things in his hands, now seated, sat at their feet, in fact had their feet in his hands. You know, all power and authority is in his hands, now he's sitting at your feet, with your feet in his hands, and not your clean feet either. You know when you haven't been wearing shoes for a while and uh, you get the dirt sort of over your feet and through your toes and they get a bit sweaty and it turns into mud and sticky and smelly and it's that sort of wow this is really uncomfortable in effect uh, in, in fact Peter who was there one of the disciples he feels extremely uncomfortable and says Lord no no don't wash my feet it's not because he's not used to people washing his feet it's like this is Jesus the Lord all things in the power of his hands now he's sitting with my dirty feet in his hands. Lord, what is going on? This is really uncomfortable. More than just you're in my personal space, but you're serving me? How could this be? In fact, he complains so much. He says, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus says, well, you don't realise what's going on. Jesus says, no, no, you're not going to do it. And, and Jesus says, well, I'm going to do it. If, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. And Peter thinks, well, the one thing I do know in life is I want to be with Jesus. I want to be on his team. So wash my feet, wash my hands, wash, wash my head, wash everything, Lord. I want to be part of you. Peter, you don't get it. You don't get it. In fact, this is what happens the night before Jesus goes to the cross, but it's one of the greatest explanations of what is going to happen the next day when Jesus goes to the cross on that Good Friday. We're not going to work through the rest of the story, uh, but there's three things that strike us that point to understanding what happens on the Good Friday. The first thing is that Jesus is a servant king. He's not the kind of king that builds big buildings, makes big festivals, a big notes himself to be remembered through cities and titles, but he's a king who literally has everything in his hands. He's the most powerful. He's the Lord of Lords, King of Kings. He's above all else. But because of his greatness, he becomes a servant. Not despite his greatness, but his greatness. And, but because he's the greatest, he becomes a servant. In fact, the greatness that he has is not measured on how powerful he is alone. The greatness is, is measured by what he does with his power. That he actually is in that position but chooses to wash their feet chooses to become a servant for a creator god to
to be sitting at your feet, washing your dirty feet. It's awkward, even uncomfortable. But it's one of the most loving acts that these guys would have experienced, even that we would have experienced if we were there. It's one of the most loving acts. But what about a creator God, not just sitting at your feet, washing your feet, but the creator God hanging on a cross, being nailed on a cross, gasping for air just before he dies? What is that like? That is the most loving thing. That Jesus would be still having all power and authority in the palm of his hands, but choose to give that up, to have his hands pinned up out of an even greater love, act of love for you. That's a servant king. The second thing we notice is Jesus washes us clean. See, the lesson for Peter was kind of a literal illustration. I need to wash your feet. Peter's like, no, no, don't touch my... No, I need to wash your feet. But it's not about his feet, is it? It's actually something much, much bigger, much more important. It's about his heart. Jesus saying, I need to wash your heart because you've, we've got this issue of sin. And to be presentable before God the Father, to, be, to have a relationship with God the Father. Remember, God the Father is this holy God, pure God. And if we come before God with our sin, it's like the Bible uses the illustration about having a stained heart. That's what sin does. It stains our heart, puts dirt on our heart. And you can't come before a holy God with a dirty, stained heart. We might try and wash it. We might say, hey, I, I can be more religious. I'll scrub my heart. I can be... I can be more spiritual. I'll wash my heart clean. I can be a good person. Surely that's going to give my heart a nice and clean look. But Jesus saying, no, you can't do it. You need to be cleaned and you can't be clean enough. Now that's uncomfortable with us because often we have a bit of pride in us to go, no, no, I, I'm a good person. I am good enough. I am worthy enough. And we want to play the religious card, the spiritual card, or the, I'm the good card. But she's going, no, no, you cannot do it. You cannot clean yourself. You cannot purify your heart. You need me. And that's where we need to surrender to Jesus. We actually need to trust him. And that's what faith is. It's actually saying, hey, Jesus, what you did on the cross is something I could never do for myself. I need to trust in you and you alone. And that's what Jesus is calling us to do. Call Peter, I need to wash your feet clean. No, not my feet. No, I need to, if you want any part with me. So Jesus shows that in this little illustration, something bigger the next day, you need to trust in this Jesus on the cross because that's where he cleans your heart. He takes your st dirty, stained heart and he gives us a clean, righteous, pure heart through his death. The third thing is Jesus shows us what real love is. This is what real love is. And this is the holding in two hands. One hand, the greatness of Jesus. That he had all things in the palm of hand. He just doesn't need us, doesn't need uh, our pity or our worship even. He's got all things. He doesn't need us at all. But yet, because of his greatness, he comes down and serves us. Because of his greatness, he chooses to love us. Because of his greatness, he reaches out to us to bring us home. That's real love he doesn't have to but he does it the verse that really pulls all this together is what we had read for us earlier from 1 john so this is still john 
the apostle uh, writing, just pulling us together. And he's writing to an early church and he's saying this, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God loved, so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. There's two big things going on there. It's saying you can experience true love. That is the love of God. That's for you. Jesus is reaching out for you. That's why Jesus come on mission to you, come into this earth. That's why Jesus went to the cross for you, to reach out to you as a, the greatest act of love. You can experience that, that love, acceptance, that trust, where I can be safe with him, vulnerable to him. Because if he's prepared to give that up for me, what wouldn't he give up for me? That's everything, that I can trust him because I've experienced that love. But it not only changes your identity and who you are, because now you're a follower of Jesus, you're a Christian, because you trust in Jesus, but it changes how you live. It's because now you actually are filled with the love of God, you want to love others. This is very different to the world. Loving others is like giving something to charity or doing a nice gesture, a smile even, is loving. But this kind of love is so much deeper. It's saying, I can be vulnerable, I can be safe with you, I can trust you. We want to be a church where we put this into action. We want to be a church filled with the love of God because that's true love. That's God living in us. It doesn't come naturally, I'm a selfish person, but through the love of God, go, wow, I can do this. And you can experience that with each other because that's what we're called to do. So through the cross, see Jesus, the servant king, coming to serve us. We see Jesus who needs to wash us clean and we can trust him that he's done that through the cross. We also, Jesus shows us what real love is. It changes us, changes our identity and helps us live life loving others. I encourage you to dwell on that this day and for many days really as we remember the significance of the cross, that great act 2,000 years ago that still has repercussions for us even today and in each of our lives. Let me pray. Dear Father God, we just commit ourselves to you now. We thank you for the great act of Jesus going to the cross and he did it for us as a great act of love for us but also purifying our hearts and that teaching us what love is. Thank you for us, for involving us in that story. Thank you for reaching out to us some 2,000 years later, that we can know you, we can trust in Jesus, and that when he returns, he will be taking us home to, to be with you for eternity. But Lord, we also commit ourselves to you in times where it is hard to love others. That sometimes it's, it's hard to really sit and rest in your love and your peace and your trust. So we don't trust others, we don't love others, we don't live in peace. Lord, we long for that. But Lord, we pray that you would reach our hearts, do that work in our hearts, so that we might become that loving people that you are, that we might show you in it, through our lives, through our actions, through our words, and that we might be a church that truly blesses our community even, through our love and our actions, our acceptance and our trust in others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.